Squad Vancouver. Pre-game, post-game, every game presented by Bodog from Sports Odds to free casino games. Make a play at Bodog.net. Watton and J-Pad here with you once again. We got a little bit of promotional news from the Canucks today. They released a promotional video that seems to be stirring up the pot, J-Pad. Also want to talk about the World Hockey Championship and something we missed yesterday, which was John Garrett Day in Vancouver. Yeah which was quite quite remarkable, of course, uh, honored at City Hall. And they had uh, some burgers, some fries. You know, they had ketchup there for John Garrett. But, I mean, pretty cool story just in, in terms of, you know, someone that's so beloved. But at the same time, too, like, feel like we kind of need a bit of answers right now when it comes to Cheech. Like, did the fans want him to go? I don't think so. Perhaps John didn't want to go. I don't know. But I like the fact that the city recognized him. Don't like the fact, though, that, it's not going to be him and Shorty next year on the regional broadcast. Yeah. May 10th, 2023. John Garrett Day in Vancouver. Yeah, it was great to see. Shorty was there. Murph was there. Mike Bradley, yeah. the Sportsnet cameraman. Greg Shannon, the producer of Canuck Broadcast. So he had his peeps there. Help him. Support him. I don't know. You have to support a person on it. It's their day. Just to spread the love, I suppose. And, and good on City Hall. I don't always say that about uh, civic politics. But you're right. They did it upright. They brought in a bunch of burgers and fries. They had the cake. Did you see the cake? With yes. The fantastic. old school yeah. Cheech photo on it. With the perm. So, yeah. <laughs> and I learned because Patrick Johnson talked to, to John Garrett and wrote a little piece in the province. I didn't realize that the connection shorty went to high school with Ken Sim, the new yeah. mayor of Vancouver. Yeah. So you know, there were some ties there. But uh, yeah, look, decades of service, really, when you think about it, player and then a broadcaster. I mean, John Garrett's been a part of the hockey community here in Vancouver for the better part of three decades. And uh, great. I mean, we saw the outpouring of love down the stretch when the announcement came, the final game in Arizona. They had some fun with that one as well. But good on the city. Whoever uh, spearheaded that uh, effort to make it John Garrett Day, I just kind of caught me off guard. Like, I, I don't know why there wasn't advance warning or billing. Yeah, like, yeah. the ball celebrated with a burger. And fries. And I do love the fact that it tied in. It was McHappy Day on perfect. Wednesday as well, which is, yeah, I mean, talk about the perfect day for it to be uh, John Garrett Day. So uh, good on you, Cheech. You got your own day in the city of Vancouver. I'm very curious to who is going to replace Cheech. I haven't heard any rumors of any names just yet, but yeah, big shoes to fill. I'll tell you that. And some chemistry to be formed as well, because boy, did Cheech and Shorty uh, have that in spades. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know what the criteria is going to be. You know, is it going to be a former Canuck? Is it going to be somebody that covers this team, is around this team? Is it going to be somebody that's in the Sportsnet chain already, yeah. maybe working in a different market, but has experience doing color commentary? You know, are they looking for somebody that tells stories? Are they looking to go in a different direction from Cheech and bring in somebody that's more analytical and, you know, diving into metrics that are all available now? I don't know. I don't have the answers to those. And I do wonder, I'm sure conversations are being held in the back channels right now, but I also wonder there's a lot of guys that are still working. There's, you know, eight teams still playing and uh, there are guys that may be candidates that are, you know, working right now that aren't available for interviews. So they've got the off season to figure it out, but whoever it is, you're right. You'd think would want to hit the ground, sort of get that rapport going with Shorty. And maybe it'll be somebody that already has a rapport with Shorty. Like, I just don't know, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be curious to see. And as you said, I mean, those two, Two Johns along with Murph. So good I mean, together. Yeah. Yeah. They've just been part of the soundtrack of Canuck hockey forever. And so it's going to be different. And look, I'm glad that it's not the end of the line for John Garrett, that he is going to be doing some work for the network, but he's not going to be in the regional games. And so they are going to have a different look and feel. There's no question about it. That Bruins Panthers series that they did 
was odd, but at the same time, it wasn't because it was them calling a hockey game. Do you know what I mean? Like it just, yep. I know that it was odd because the Canucks weren't playing, but it just felt right to me. Like, well, I'm listening to it. It wasn't jumping off the page. Like, oh, I can't believe these guys are doing, you know, Bruins Panthers. It was just more like, oh yeah, it's John and John. They're really good together. And they were, they were great in that series as well. And what a series to be able to call. Yeah, exactly. Like it, that's the last time that they work. Game seven yeah, overtime, right? monumental upset. Like, yeah, what was it a minute to go when the Panthers tied it up there? Their, their season was like a minute away from being done. And now look at them. Now we'll get to that in just a moment here or later on here in the pod. That is so people are a little bit outraged about John Garrett, you know, losing his job as the color commentator for the regional broadcast for the Canucks. Now the outrage has turned. It's Vancouver, man. It's I know <laughs> this makes me shake my head more than anything else. So I woke up this morning. I saw our buddy Bruff had had put it out like yeah. on his Twitter, but there was no context. It just said, here's the commercial. So I'm sitting there thinking like, is this something that Bruff and his team put together or something, you know, for Albro? And then I'm watching it and I'm like, no, this is just a Canucks commercial. What's, what's, what's the issue here? Then I start diving into the comments. Holy smokes. People are upset, J-Pat. Like, it's a freaking promotional video. Like, this is where we're at nowadays. Like, this is where our outrage goes. Not worried about the team and not making the playoffs. Hell no. Want to get upset over a promotional video trying to sell season tickets. Ridiculous. Talking about commercials. Not talking about the game. <laughs> not a game. Talking about game. the commercials. Yeah. I mean, look, I think uh, we've heard the words there, those buzz phrases, catchphrases, if you will, that... Uh, the Canucks have used an awful lot since the coaching change. I like to think that rink-wide Vancouver has structure and standards and, and habits. Uh, but it is a little odd to me. It gets so clear from that commercial. And again, I want to be clear because I'm with you. It's a commercial. It's a commercial. That's all it is. It's the offseason. Uh, but it does feel like, and man, I guess before I get into my real thought here, I just I always kind of default to, what didn't make the grade? Like, what were those meetings like at Roger Lurin? Like, what were the other slogans that didn't, you know, get the approval and get green lit for this commercial to come up with? You know, selling the coach and the general manager is odd when you've got 100-point player in Elias Pettersson. You've got a 70-plus point defenseman in Quinn Hughes. You've got a goaltender who returned to action and returned to form. But you couldn't just splice 60 seconds of highlights of those guys. Like, to me, that's what I would be selling I joked on Twitter, it would have been 30 seconds of Kuzmenko and 30 yeah. seconds of, of yeah. the puppy. And then somebody was like, yeah, and then 30 more seconds of Kuzmenko with the puppy. And sure, but it's not 90 seconds, so it would have to be 20, 20, 20, I guess. I don't know. Like, you know, internally, I don't know sort of their thinking is about the message that they're trying to convey to this marketplace. I would have surrounded myself with the stars. And I make this point again that, you know, is there negativity in the market? Of course there is. This team's been bad for a while, but there's a ton of positivity around a lot of the individual players that they've got. You know, Pedersen didn't get them in the cap crunch and Quinn Hughes isn't responsible for a lot of the issues that go on around this hockey club. I, I just think that there is positive stories and things to sell to the fan base. And they elected to go with buzz phrases and, and, buzzwords, structure, standards, and habits. And, you know, that is Rick talking. I mean, part of the commercial itself, I thought was interesting that it wasn't all game highlights, that they were very about clearly practice. Yeah. practice. <laughs> we're talking yeah. about practice. Uh, <laughs> but, but that part very much by design, right? Like that part was calculated that, you know, Rick Talkett talked about in his press conferences about, you know, these, fine, if guys aren't going to get the message, we're going to have these boot camps, or we're going to have to stop. Like, you know, he talked a lot about 
practice and practice habits. So I guess I'm, I'm not the least bit surprised that that is sort of the thrust. Like, look at us. We are instilling all these things. And it's not just in the games. It's in the practices. And here, you know, see five seconds of a practice clip of Sergey Gonchar talking to somebody. Is that going to sell season tickets? I don't know. But yeah, talk is cheap, man. And these fans know it. Just yeah. stick with one slip. What happened to the We Are All Canucks? Just use that. It works. Well, you don't have last to change year went it with unfinished business. I know. Kind of blew up in their face. Exactly. I don't give a shit about a slogan, to be honest with you. But to me, I would just stick with one. Like, you don't have to change it every year. The goal, the slogan should be, we've got to be better. <laughs> like, yeah. But <laughs> so I, anyway. I saw people saying, like, they would have been way better off and it would have been far better received if they had sort of poked fun at themselves somehow, some way. Like, it does feel like every year they take themselves so seriously with unfinished business and structure and habit. What happened to that, by the way? And what unfinished business? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they never finished. The it's business. still a work what in progress. Remember, exactly. they pulled the slogan though. Yeah, I don't know. Like he had some like gear and stuff, and like I saw a shirt on on Twitter. Right, but unfinished it. business that would apply to Bruce, right? Like the the and tail end of his first season so quickly. Yeah. Like, uh oh. <laughs> right. So I think it was just a complete like flip the script and turn the page and on to the next coach and and you know whatever you can sell. Ultimately, it's. What do you look like on the ice? Are you winning more than you're losing? And I guess structure and standards and habits are the things that are going to lead them where they want to go. But as we talked about a lot on yesterday's pod, till they get their financial house in order, you know, structure. Yeah, you can talk about the structure on the ice, but they've got some financial structure issues that are going to they're they're going to sort of overshadow whatever structure they want to play with uh, with the personnel that they've got. Winning playoffs, Stanley Cup. There's your there's your slogan right there. Those three steps. Do them. And get back to me when you do. Uh, Connor Garland's wearing an A for the United States. You notice yeah. that at the World Hockey Championship? Our old buddy Nick Benino. Benino, Benino, Benino. He's wearing the uh, C for the United States. Says yeah, uh, so. some prelims have kicked off over in Finland and Latvia. Yeah, a little kind of content there in the leadership group of Team USA. We've established that there isn't a lot of, I, I don't know, forget star power. There's not a lot of NHL power on that American team. I'll be interested to see, you know, they got David Quinn, the San Jose Sharks head coach behind the bench, but I don't know what sort of team. It's a mixed bag of NHLers and minor pro guys and college players as well. So, uh, you know, it's a big ask, a long way to go, obviously, to Latvia and Finland. I always forget, too, like, this tournament is bit of a, a monster in as much as it's two and a half weeks like it is a big investment for these guys this isn't summer holiday i mean maybe some of them get to take their wives and kids to europe but it's a business trip for the players and it's you know it's not in and out in a week or 10 days like it's two and a half weeks of you know hockey and this is what they do for a living i get that but yeah connor garland with the goal and an assist as you said team usa a 6-3 win over Germany in Munich. That was their lone tune-up game. I thought it was interesting. Garland's wearing number 83, which is the number that he used to wear in Arizona. And then he came here and Jay Beagle. Well, no, Beagle got flipped in that deal. So 83 maybe just didn't want to touch. Maybe they didn't want to issue 83 again. It's like whatever. Beagle was wearing this? Nah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. So a fresh start, new, new chapter, whatever. But uh, yeah, we're in 83 for Team USA. So uh, we'll see what Connor, I mean, you know, it'll be fun to see him on big ice with more room in the corners to spin and shoot from all over the ice and all the different angles. So the other in the corner spinning <laughs> play goes up ice. He's still He's over there in the corner, trying to work his way out of the corner. Ethan bear and Tyler Myers both had an assist in Canada's five, two win over Hungary in Budapest. 
That was their lone tune-up game for the tournament. They will open up against Latvia. And that's going to be interesting because Canada's in the pool in the games that are played in Latvia. And we know, like, Latvians, they're nuts about their their hockey, their international team, their, or their national team. And I would imagine that will be a crazy environment to kick the tournament off. Got Canada, this hockey superpower on Latvian soil. So uh, we'll see what happens in that one. The U.S. opens against Finland. Oh, I should also mention that Tyler Myers had an assist. Some were probably asking. Yeah, he had a penalty as well. Of course he did. Of course he did. Tyler Myers. Uh, now, this is kind of funny, too, because, you know, we're looking for Canuck angles here and getting a little thin, obviously. But we'll be charting the worlds and see how these guys perform as they go along. Brad Hunt, former Canuck, is also on Team Canada. You know who's on Finland? Juho Lamico. Oh, wow. Juho Lamico is on Finland. And I was just looking at his numbers. He played in the Swiss League this year. He led the Zurich Lions in scoring. Lamico, really? 24 goals in 52 wow. games. 40 points. Lama. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember how many goals he scored as a Vancouver Canuck. Yeah, they were few and far between. They're very few, yes. But uh, got he's, it right on here. Team. he's on a finished roster that includes Miko Rantanen, among others. So there is some star power at this tournament. And, of course, the Finns are the co-hosts, so it would stand a reason that you know, a little bit of pressure, I think, for some of the Finns in the NHL to go home and represent their country, although it always seems like an easier sell for some of those European teams for the World Championships. Yeah. It's just a bigger deal over there. But let's see. Canada's, you know, again, Tyler Toffoli, former Canuck, he's got the C, and we've talked about Milan Lucic and others on that team. Yeah, I think we teased that the other day, but we actually didn't get to it. Toffoli's the captain of Canada. He yeah. Is. Yeah. yeah. Mackenzie yeah. Weger, Lawson Kraus, Lucic are parts of the leadership group as well. You know, how is Canada's goaltending going to stack up? Sam Montembeau and uh, Devon Levi. Levi's a good-looking goalie. Yep. And, and Montembeau's like, I mean, goaltending's so weird, right? Like, it takes a while. You know, I was looking up, like, for instance, uh, Joe Wall that started for the Leafs last night. He was a 2016 draft pick. And now he's like a rookie making his NHL uh, Stanley Cup playoff debut. So it's crazy how long it takes. So Sam Montembeau's, what, 28, 29, something like that? And he just seems like one of those guys that's sort of been around forever, but hasn't quite, you know, broken through. It'll be interesting to see, right, with the goaltending. Yeah, Montembeau was, he's a late 1996 yeah, what's that make him? 27. He'll be 27 later this year. So Okay. I'm going to give him a few more years. Speaking of yeah, goaltending, I mean, though, Lafayette's got Seelofs, right? Seelofs going to start against Canada, you think? Ooh, I hadn't yeah. thought about I'm that. I'm just looking at the roster now. Yeah, and no, I, 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 yeah, no. I'm like, of course Seelofs has got to be on this team. No, and sure enough, he is. Well, that could be interesting to see if he gets to start against Canada as well. So uh, that all gets going tomorrow, Canada against uh, Latvia there. And that will kick off the tournament. And as you mentioned, uh, USA, Finland. So we'll be charting that, keeping our eye on. Canucks and former Canucks and anything that ties together uh, for the Canucks. This ties together for the Canucks too. JT Miller is trying to qualify for the U.S. Open, J-Pat. Mm. Battling 78 golfers for four spots. That is, what is that called? A local qualifier, I believe that's called? That's a local qualifier. Yes. Yeah. So this kicks off on, I believe it's Monday for, J for JT Miller. Yeah, there's local qualifying. It's been going on for weeks already yeah. and will continue and local qualifying is 18 holes. If he's one of the top four of the 78 in the field at the club at Nevillewood in Presto, Pennsylvania, which I looked at a map is just suburban Pittsburgh, which is JT's off-season home. And look, I think JT, I mean, you've got to be a really, really good player even to qualify or to to take part in local qualifying. I think the USGA got to have a handicap or an index of 1.4 or lower. Yeah. So. Like we're talking some sticks here, guys, to get it around. But that said, 
four spots in a field of 78, you're a long shot. And I mean, good for JT for putting himself out there. I mean, his scores are going to be published. People can follow along online. He's teeing it up on Monday. So yeah, we'll see what happens there. Now, if he was to put together a round that got him one of the four spots to advance, then he'd go to sectional qualifying. Sectional is 36 holes in one day, usually a month from now, early in June. And it's incredible. When you look at U.S. Open sectional qualifying, like those fields are full of like PGA Tour players that aren't exempt for the U.S. Open that have to qualify as well. So if JT could somehow post a round that gets him through the local qualifying, then he's going to be in tough. But wouldn't it? And that'd be incredible. Imagine, imagine if he like caught lightning in a bottle and made it to the U.S. Open. You sport athlete, the next Bo Jackson here. Again, I think Taki would be freaking out. <laughs> the funny thing is he's not the only ex-pro athlete that's trying to qualify as well. Uh, former NFL running back Danny Woodhead, who when you search his name nowadays, says professional golfer. So, And I'm sure you remember Woodhead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He played for the Pats, a few other teams as well. But uh, yeah, he's trying to qualify as well. So we'll see if uh, a JT Miller can get in there and perhaps become the next. I thought it was interesting athlete. too. Like the USGA put out a little infographic that JT Miller, professional ice hockey player, you know, was among those thousands of people that are trying to to qualify. And they seem to think that it was interesting that he shoots left in hockey, but he plays golf right. That's that's it's so common, right? It's because there's no right hand or left handed clubs, so you just grow up playing with right handed ones and except I, I mean it's, played left it's not, yeah. my entire life. But like Me too, me too. But I, mind I, you, I, I just started playing though. So I you know, I I didn't have right handed clubs only as a kid, right? So yes. yeah. No one of those weirdos though too that throws right and bats left and plays golf left plays hockey left my brother yeah. completely the opposite of me no i know and I'm, I'm a bit of a mess as well like i kick with my left foot that's my dominant foot really yeah but i huh. write and throw with my right hand but left handed in all the you know batting and the golf and yeah so just kind of all over the map so when are you going to be a friend for the qualifier for the u.s open i uh, well first of all i Qualifying for the U.S. Senior Open, I think. Uh, <laughs> Have yeah. you ever? Have, I know, oh, you God, no. A bit, right? No, I played some competitive golf uh, in my early 20s, but those days are long behind me, and I just get out there and scrape it around and have fun now. And You what quickly learn. Five index, is that you, why you can't do it nowadays? Or Never got down that <laughs> far. But what I quickly learned was, and again, this is I probably the height of my golf was my days when I was living and working in Kamloops, and I had basically my summers off. And just because the Blazers had such a high profile in Kamloops and as the play-by-play guy, I don't know, the guys uh, got the treatment and I basically go and play free wherever I wanted. So yeah, I took the guys up on that offer. When you start to play competitively, and I played a few tournaments in the Okanagan and whatnot, like you realize how many really good players there are out there. Like on my best day, I couldn't hold a candle to a lot of those guys. So yeah, my uh, competitive, I played some as a junior Played in the provin- the BC Provincial Junior Championship one summer. I was in Fernie. I don't even, do you know where Fernie is? Of course I know where Fernie is. Great snowboarding there. Yeah. Well, it's a pretty good golf course too. Yeah. Uh, for a community of that size. But, you know, it's basically the hills, western foothills of the Rockies. The tournament was in the first week of July. This is the BC Junior Boys, and we're going way back. And the first week of July, wore mittens, wore Pretty much everything that I took with me on the trip, because I had one of the first tea times of the day, oh, no. like eight o'clock in the morning, and it was below zero Hi. in early July. Like it was freezing. So, anyways, days warmed up. 
uh, temperatures and the climate got a little bit better. But yes, that's my vague memory from my one and only attempt of playing in the provincial junior golf championship way back when. So, well, hopefully uh, JT Miller doesn't do too well because I think the Canucks would like to have him back <laughs> next season. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience, whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. Uh, so we always remind everybody that uh, we always take Ask J-Pats uh, throughout the year. You can hit us up on Twitter, at RinkWideVan. You can also hit us up in the Go Goat Sports inbox, 778-402-9680. And when you do text into that inbox, your number gets saved, and basically uh, you become part of the club. We give away stuff uh, randomly through that as well. So there, there are perks to it, uh, not just uh, getting to ask J-Pat a question. Here's one from Twitter, and it's from a regular contributor at Strongbelly. He asks, with the cap being as tight as it is, who is the likeliest candidate to graduate from the Abbey system to the main roster? Yeah, I think the easiest answer there is one of the goaltenders. We know that they're going to go basically with league minimum, and both Spencer Martin and Artur Silovs are uh, in that ballpark. So uh, I think one of those guys will be the backup goaltender, uh, you know, and so they're going to basically do what they did last year, and that's a roll of the dice. And I just wonder if they're a little bit better positioned now with Silovs having played the five games at the NHL level and being the MVP down in Abbotsford, that if Spencer or if Thatcher Demko was to get hurt, I, I would think that you would bypass Spencer Martin and Arthur Silovs would get the opportunity to be the guy. Now, as we saw with Spencer Martin, one thing to be the backup, another when the bright lights turn on you and you know you're now the guy and it didn't work out so well for him but i i still haven't closed the door to him winning the backup job next year out of training camp hmm. you know the fact that he got three of the four games against calgary in that uh second round of the abbotsford playoffs i, I think has to tell you a little bit about uh organizationally you know how they sort of grade those two goaltenders even though again Silovs was the the team mvp uh down on the farm this year you know as far as other players and I think people I mean, people that followed the Canucks saw what happened with all of the call-ups from the minors this year. Um, you know, I, I think some of those defensemen have a legitimate shot at coming in here and pushing for a spot on the roster. I'm not sure that one of those guys will be in the opening night lineup, but, you know, they still got to get uh, Ethan Verisign. They've got to get a contract done for Akito Hirose. And then from there... You know, where do the chips fall? But, you know, did Noah Juleson do enough as a right side guy to sort of be a depth player to start the season with the Vancouver Canucks? And again, the game that I saw out in Abbotsford in the playoffs, I thought Juleson was outstanding. Uh, you know, just mean, physical, finished every check, um, you know, played a ton. 
as they protected a lead. So, you know, I, I think Noah Juleson is a candidate. And then over on the left side, you know, Christian Willan, I think would fall into that same category. You know, where does that leave Jack Rathbone? I, I think your guess is as good as mine, when, you know, when it comes to this organization and Rathbone. and We talked about sweeteners yesterday. Maybe Rathbone ends up being one of those. Yeah, although I just, I'm not sure that he's done enough for yeah. other teams to, you know, truly take interest. But, you know, ultimately, what is the sweetener? It's just increasing the value of the, the trade. So, uh, by definition, maybe he does qualify in that regard. You know, when it comes to the guys up front, like, I'm not sure that there's anybody outside of Holglander who is right there knocking on the door to get plugged into the big league lineup to start next season. And I say to start next season because I think it's imperative and we spent a fair bit of the show, you know, Ryan Johnson, played the clips of Ryan Johnson, you know, high on Archdeep Baines. Remember, he's he's just coming off his first year as a pro. So, you know, I don't think he's pushing to make this team out of training camp. But if he goes down and has a great first half in Abbotsford next year, by the middle of the his second season as a professional, if they needed a call up, you know, by then. Yeah, maybe. Max Sasson, maybe. I I mean, just because yeah, of, Sasson of need, just turned right? pro, right? Like, yeah. like how little experience he has. Um, so I think he needs to doesn't really establish himself, but I think they like what they got. I mean, they obviously like the player. That's why they signed him. And I think they were happy enough with him, you know, in the limited time that he was down on the farm. You know, Linus Carlson, um, you know, I think all those guys showed growth this year and that's a good sign and that's what we said like it was a really positive year down in Abbotsford on so many levels um and yeah the big league club is cap crunch so you're looking for guys that are affordable um you know the ones that are in your backyard that you've got to read on that uh, you know you probably can get a sense of who can plug which kind of hold you know if they, if it, if they needed a call up and they needed somebody that can provide some offense yeah then Hoaglander uh maybe Carlson, you know, if you're looking for a guy that can bring a bit of grit and maybe gets an opportunity to kill some penalties. And we heard about Ryan Johnson talking about just the development of Archie Baines along those kind of lines. So yeah, there are candidates, but I I think the simple answer is one of the goaltenders. I I mean, Alvin said as much, right? They're not going to spend on a backup goaltender. You've got two guys here that are under contract. I think you're looking at one of those. And it's just a question of, is history going to repeat itself? Are they going to go down that road with Spencer Martin as the backup and hope that things go a little better for him a second time around? Or, you know, as Arthur Silov's earned this opportunity to start the season as the backup. And then I think I mentioned on a previous show that, you know, a bit of a wrinkle could be that Martin starts the season as the backup. We all know in a perfect world, Thatcher Demko is going to play and play a lot. So how many opportunities realistically would Spencer Martin get as the backup between opening night and Christmas? You know, you're probably looking at eight, right? Somewhere in the neighborhood of six to eight kind of games. Meanwhile, maybe Arthur Silovs is playing 25 games down in Abbotsford, continuing to grow. And by Christmas time, then it's time to promote Silovs. Now it becomes his job full time. And essentially, you're putting Spencer Martin out to pasture with half a year remaining on his contract. You'd send him back down to the farm. So uh, Silovs projects as a part of the future of this organization. I think Spencer Martin, you know, he's probably got one more year, and then we'll see what happens with him. But uh, in terms of growth and development, there's no doubt that Arthur Silovs uh, is the more legitimate 
prospect for the future for the Vancouver Canucks in goal. So last year or next year, that is, will be his last year on the contract uh, mm-hmm. for Seelos, and then he'll become an RFA after that. But uh, yeah, sort of slow build here. It's working well in terms of if you look at timelines between Thatcher Demko and if, say, if Seelos is going to be uh, the guy that takes over the net after Demko, like the timelines are working out right now because you still have uh, three years counting next year uh, for Thatcher Demko as well. So, but again, we talked about that window with Demko, right? And how they really got to try to utilize that window when you got such a stellar goaltender at such a great price at just $5 million. But right, I think but, you're right. But also terms- like, and you know, I've, I've sort of been spending a fair about too much time, quite frankly, you know, with this whole cap predicament that the Canucks are in and we've all looked for these creative ways for them to move salaries out. And, mm. you know, I'm not a proponent. Look, I'll be clear up front. I'm not a proponent of this, but I do wonder, like, if some of the so-called untouchables are going to become touchables at some point. Well, like I, I, like I said, if he if he actually was on the block, like, that would be unbelievable that teams didn't didn't try their best. I mean, I guess it had to do with the injury really, but if he was available, like think about the teams that should be kicking themselves right now. And the haul that you could in theory get in return. Yeah. Yeah. For a goaltender. And we all know too, like I'm I'm not definitely not writing Thatcher Demko off, but goaltending is voodoo. Like it's, it's true. You know? Yeah. I think you're right about the goaltending thing. I'm very curious though, about what they do with this three C because we have looked at the dollars. We broke it down. We talked about how hard it is to move these players because we've seen that already. And I'm wondering if they're thinking that, you know, maybe we can fill this uh, internally and, you know, maybe someone like Atu Ratu. I mean, he's only played 54 AHL games. Uh, He's still a young man. Assassin that we talked about as well. Again, very, very new into his professional career. So, yeah, it's going to be crazy to see exactly how they utilize Abbotsford and who they think is is ready to take that step because, man, are their hands tied when it comes to the salary cap. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them. The Dome will be rocking. Should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com. And check this out. They start at just 30 bucks, and kids 17 and under can get in for 15 So bring the noise. Fill the Dome. Rinkwide Vancouver is presented by Bodog, the place to go to make a play on free casino games and sports odds little playoff talk here now as i hit my bodog best bet last night i had the canada you combo like alex Petrangelo on the jeez that was nasty that was it completely was. nasty but I, I i basically i had both canada teams to win last night uh and they did the leafs uh, edged out the panthers 2-1 and the oilers beat the gold like Knights i should 4-1. stand for the national anthem here yeah there you go yes watch out though Petrangelo might hack you down that was a nasty slash. Um, we'll see exactly as we record this right now. I haven't heard if there's any sort of punishment for Petrangelo just yet. But uh, one thing that I wanted to highlight in that game, two goals from defense. Oh, Jay you know Pat. me. Fist pumps galore as I was watching in my home office. Uh, but it's a thing, and that's why I keep bringing it up, because goals are scored by defensemen around the National Hockey League, and they're being scored at big times in key games here in the playoffs. And like you look at Evan Bouchard and the way he shot the puck, like, 
nobody on the Canucks defense that shoots the puck like that. And I'm not sure there's a lot of guys in the league that shoot the puck like that. And I know point shots are a low percentage play, but Ekholm, he wired that one as well. And again, there are nights where your forwards are going to get held in check. Even the best players in the world are going to be held uh, off the score sheet or aren't able to contribute. And if you can get a goal here or a goal there or two, uh, in the case of the Edmonton Oilers last night, like it's just, it's a bonus. And it's just, you know, it, it's a facet of the game. Yes, the Canucks have one of the best play driving, uh, producing defensemen, but we know that he doesn't possess a, a huge shot and he's not really likely. I know you think he's going to spend all summer working on the shot and maybe he will. Uh, I mean, this guy's driven. We know that, but I just see, like, I don't think overnight that he's going to, you know, all of a sudden come back with a fastball of a hundred miles an hour. Like, I just don't think that that's who he is or how he plays. So Philip Ronick, I think has shown that he can produce some offense. So I want to give him an opportunity. Uh, I don't need the Canucks to lead the NHL in goals by defensemen, but it's just an element that their blue line doesn't possess right now. Ethan Barrett didn't score. Tyler Myers didn't score. OEL's production production has dropped way off. And then, you know, the Abbotsford guys like, yeah, Guillaume Brisebois scored his first NHL goal. And that was a great moment, but it's the outlier, right? It doesn't happen very often. It hadn't happened to that point at that level. So um, just something to keep in mind. There's nothing in the rule book that says defensemen can't score goals the way forwards do. And uh, here in Vancouver, uh, we know that it's been way too long. Like I think uh, you got to go back to, it was it Alex Edler and Yannick Weber, I think were the last guys that hit double digits in goals uh, in a season for the <laughs> Vancouver Canucks. And, you know, I think Ed Jovanoski in the 2000s, uh, since it's the turn so, of millennium, millennium, Jovo had 17 one year. Yeah. And that's the high water mark. It's so odd that the Canucks throughout their history have just had such sort of mediocre defense. Yep. You know, they've had good defensemen. You mentioned one there and, and Ed Jovanovsky, but like just, just never had that guy. And of course now uh, Quinn Hughes is that guy, but uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, I, I don't think he's going to develop like a, a howitzer from the point. But I feel like he's one of those guys that's just going to do his all he can to try to figure out how to to be a better goal scorer uh, in the NHL. Uh, Leafs, as mentioned, they uh, edged the Panthers, and I'm liking this by the way too because this prolongs me having to eat that chip right now, right? Right. As the Canadian teams keep uh, themselves in the playoffs, so the Oilers and Golden Knights are are all even at uh, two apiece, as everybody knows. The uh, Leafs uh, live to win another or play another game. That is as uh, they send the series to Toronto on the back of a rookie goaltender that looked fine in that game, really. And I know everybody's crying about the uh, core four there in Toronto, and I thought Willie Nylander was the best player in the game. Yeah, I mean, Marner scores from distance, and Nylander gets a fortunate bounce off the referee's knee, but hey, that stuff happens, and I like to believe that bounces generally even out over the course of uh, a series or a, a long season. Uh, it is crazy, though, to think with all that firepower, six straight games that the Leafs have been held to two right. goals. Like that just that doesn't compute to me. Like, where's Matthews? Where's Tavares? Where's Marner? I know people have been asking that question, but six like it's 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 unbelievable that they're still alive in these playoffs. Six straight games being held to just two goals, but they get a win last night with two goals. Uh, you know, and that was something that we charted with the Canucks all season long. Remember how long it took them? Till a game in Los Angeles when they beat the Kings three to two in a shootout was the and that was March I think was the first time all year that the Vancouver Canucks won when scoring two goals or fewer. Like you do have to be able to grind out some victories and they did it against Tampa uh, at the tail end of that series. They did it obviously last night. 
And it just kind of feels with that firepower, like one night they're going to be due for a breakout. And I guess they're probably banking on that, right? Like they're probably thinking like you can't continue. You can't two goals every other game. Uh, maybe Bobrovsky's due for a bit of a dip in his performance. Yeah, and yeah. maybe it all comes together. If it does, then yeah, like a win at home in game five, obviously you you still need two yourself, but you definitely have given Florida something to think about, but they've got to make sure that they get that uh, next victory or or they're done. Yeah, they got to get a couple of narratives out of the way here because they've been awful on home ice as well throughout these right. playoffs and the fact that they, they got to start stepping up and getting some firepower out there. You're right. It's got me thinking, though, when I watch these two teams play one another and just sort of watch the style that the Leafs decided that they were going to continue to, to go with, and that is that sort of run and gun, but they don't forecheck. And Florida's forecheck has just been giving them all kinds of problems. And to me, like, that's how you win in the playoffs. I don't know if you can win with this sort of run and gun style that Toronto plays. Like the Panthers forecheck is just, they're on you at all times. And it's been very effective as we've seen. And, you know, if you're a team like the Canucks, I I know what um, Tockett is sort of trying to uh, get with the structure and all that stuff, but he also does have high flyers too. So you kind of have to kind of come in between to find that sweet spot in the middle between being, you know, a hard forechecking structured team, but also somebody that lets his horses, you know, sort of run wild. Yeah. And we talked a, a moment ago about Alex Petrangelo and the chop on dry settle. What about the Gudis hit on camp? But the only, okay. Was it a charge? Because I mean, Camp is still trying to peel himself off the boards. Like, oh. I, I don't know about you. Like, it looked like something out of like Street Fighter. Like, Harukin, you know, like, <laughs> the guy goes flying. Like, seriously. And yeah. you've I've talked about Rocco Gudis and how frightening that guy is. That was a big hit. But I'm wondering if it was a charge. I, I in the moment I didn't think it, but you know, I've seen other people saying, you know, I don't know. I think he should well, got penalized. It looks like he's skated. I mean, Department of Player Safety has other issues to deal with. Obviously, coming out of that Edmonton game. Uh, Darnell Nurse gets the suspension, the instigator in the final five. They've uh, upheld that. So no Darnell Nurse for the Oilers. And I, uh, as we record, we're waiting on Petrangelo, I, I have to assume. And I think the league will take the easy way out. Uh, you know, one game for Petrangelo, one game for Nurse. It's not an elimination game for either team. And I think, uh, you know, in my world, Petrangelo deserves more than a game. Yes, that was nasty. But... You know, we've also seen Kale McCarr got suspended. So people say star power and all that. You know, I mean, that was so far over the line for Petrangelo. Like, there's just no place in hockey for that. This is the best time of the year for the best hockey to be played. And I don't think of Petrangelo that way. Like, I think of a guy that plays hard. But um, No, he let his emotions get the best. Yeah, no, frustration, there. certainly. Yeah, yeah. But you can't wind up the way he did. Right in front of the rest. Just too. lay the lumber. No, like. Forget it. So the league, uh, I I do think that the league has to send some sort of message here. And I think, again, it's sort of the easy way out. Each team will be without uh, a key defender for a game, but it's not an elimination game. And so uh, at that point, you know, they'll miss the game and then play on for game six and beyond if uh, it goes the the distance. Tonight, uh, a couple of game fives. Carolina's got a chance to bounce the uh, New Jersey Devils at home. They're up uh, 3-1 in that series. Uh, And then the best of three starts uh, in Big D uh, between the Stars and the Kraken, which has been a fantastic series uh, so far. 
I'm looking at the Canes to finish things off tonight, J-Pat, and I think they do it in style. As we've seen in these games, they're they're all been basically blowouts. I've got the Canes minus a goal and a half at plus 195 in the Canes win. As you remember, game one, 5-1, game two, 6-1, game four, 6-1 as well, and then Jersey's lone win in 8-4-1. So high scoring these uh, these games have been and uh, also not very close, and I see it being the same tonight. I also see the Canes putting them away. The Rod Brindamore factor, I think, weighs in here. I think Brindamore is going to have it instilled in his players that tonight – we finish it, we don't go back to the swamp, and we put our feet up while the rest of the league sort of catches up. Yeah, I sort of feel that same way. Um, and I don't like to write New Jersey off. I mean, an incredible young team that I think has announced its arrival for the next bunch of years, but uh look like they've met their match and not getting the goaltending, obviously. And, yeah, I mean, the more I watch Carolina, the they're the favorite. Res- more they're respect the favorite to have right for Brindamore and the way yeah. that they play. And, you know, I know in years gone by, I've wondered if the – Game breaker, the lack of a true game breaker was one of the things that was sort of keeping them from getting where they wanted to go. Um, and again, no Sveshnikov, no Pacioretty, and now Teravainen's out as well. But guys like Aho and Nachash, you know, they generate enough. And then they get uh, contributions from, I mean, it's been Jordan Martinick's show in this series, been incredible. Uh, and then that backhand, obviously, uh, one through six, they've got an incredible defense core. So, yeah, it kind of feels like uh, maybe they don't get the love around the National Hockey League, but uh, they know who they are. They know how they have to play to have success, and they do it more often than not. And it feels like a pretty big night for the Seattle Kraken to me. Um, It's been an incredible run, amazing season. It's not over. And, in fact, if they get the win in Dallas, then, yeah, two cracks to advance to the Western Conference Final. I like their chances. If they fall in Dallas, again, I'm not writing them off, but at that point, backs against the wall, um, you know, the clock may be getting close to to striking midnight for, for Cinderella this time around. So I'll give them every opportunity. Let's see how they do. Um, but I, I still think Dallas will prevail in that series. But, man, this just feels like a, a really big game. If Dallas gets it, I like their chances a lot. If Seattle gets it, they go back home with a chance to to move on. So I probably would like them uh, to take care of business in that fashion. So, yeah, a lot at stake for the Kraken and the Stars in Game 5 of their series. Yeah, and to tie it into the Canucks as well, I, I just I like seeing Jalen Chatfield have, have success in Carolina there as well. So good on him. You referenced that blue line. He's a part of that. And, boy, do they produce on the back end yep. in Carolina. All right, that's been another edition of the Rinkwide Vancouver podcast presented by Bodog for Jeff Patterson. I'm Andrew Wadden. Remember, Rinkwide is the show that always scores.